Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're talking to one of our favorite guests about how hiking and backpacking is about to fundamentally change in three of Oregon's most beautiful wilderness areas. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, so in this edition of the podcast, we are joined by Francisca Weinheimer. She is the owner and operator of the website hikeoregon.net, an outstanding resource for planning a trek into Oregon's outdoors. It's actually her second time on the podcast. Thanks so much for being here one more time. Thanks so much for having me. I listen to like every episode of the podcast, so I'm super honored to be a guest once again. All right, cool. So in this podcast, we are going to talk about kind of three things that are all, are all related. We're going to get to quite a few things. So we're going to start with some pretty big news that is going to change hiking and backpacking in three of Oregon's most famous wilderness areas. So this coming summer, you will need a special permit if you plan on entering the Mount Jefferson, Three Sisters, and Mount Washington wilderness areas. And guess what? The first of those permits are going on sale April 6th. That is coming up soon. Can you believe this is finally happening? Like, we've been talking about the pros and cons of this extensive permit system for years, literally like three, four, five years or something. It's finally here. Are you ready for it? Do you think Oregon's ready for it? Personally, I'm ready for the permits to be implemented, finally. Um, I think nature is ready as well. Um, do I think Oregon is ready? Um, you know, from the comments that I've been seeing online and things my hiking friends have been saying, I think it's a mix of emotions for sure. Many people are entirely against it. And then there are those who know that it's necessary, but are annoyed about how it works. And then there are those who are totally all for it in every way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's totally a mixed bag. It's all over the map. Uh, but people mm -hmm. feel very, yeah. they feel very strongly about it. That is the uniting factor. So yeah. in, in the first part of this podcast, uh, we're going to break down all the critical things to know, like how the permit system works, and more importantly, how to be prepared for it. In the second half, we'll talk about the actual places, spotlighting the hikes that will be most difficult to get a permit and maybe some nice alternatives. And finally, we will talk about your new book, Oregon's Best Views, which I just got yesterday. It looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. So this is a packed podcast. You ready to get started? Absolutely. All right. Okay, so let's start off with what's going to happen on the most basic level. From May 28th to September 24th, so basically all of summer, you may need to purchase a special permit to enter 450,000 acres of these three wilderness areas. You're going to need to buy the permits on the website recreation.gov. And the details are important here because there will only be so many permits available. And we're talking about what's, you know, probably the most beautiful backcountry area in Oregon. You know, this land of alpine lakes, volcanoes, old growth forests. So 
how do you see the demand for these permits playing out? Like, when do you think that this it's going to be hardest to get them? I think the demand for weekends is going to be huge. You know, those Friday, Saturday, Sunday days, uh, those permits will get snatched up really fast. The most popular trails like Green Lakes, Broken Top, South Sister Climber Trail will likely be the first trails to be completely sold out of permits. But those three also have the largest permit quota, which is great. Um, South Sister has the largest day use permit quota at 100 permits per day. And I think Green Lakes allows for like 80 a day. So that's really good. But I think those three will get snatched up pretty quick. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see because those are a lot of permits. And we'll jump into that in just a second, the whole quota system and how that works. Yeah. But so the first thing to know is that there are two different permits. So one is for overnight trips like backpacking. The other is for day use. So, you know, just going out for a day hike. You'll buy those separately. The overnight permit costs six dollars for and can include a group of up to 12 people. And the day permits are one dollar per person, but it's one permit per person. So the key difference is that you need an overnight permit no matter where you go or where you begin. If you want to pitch a tent or sleep anywhere in these wilderness areas, you need that overnight permit full stop. But if you're going out for a day hike, you only need this special permit at 19 of the most popular trailheads. We'll talk about the locations a bit later, but that day hike requirement is for places like, you know, we mentioned Green Lakes, South Sister, Obsidian Trail, the most famous, best known spots. I'm curious, it's it's kind of a lot, this permit system. Like it's a little confusing. Like, have you heard from people confused by this overnight versus day use versus which trailhead? Like there's a lot going on here. Yeah, I think people's confusion lies um, that it's trailhead and not necessarily the trail name. Uh, yeah. So that can be confusing for people. And then also the confusion I've heard from folks is about the overnight permits. People are having a hard time grasping that it's literally the entire three wildernesses are permitted. Um, and you do need an overnight permit no matter what trailhead or where you enter the wilderness from if you want to camp. Yeah, because that makes sense. I mean, because permits aren't a new thing by any stretch of the imagination. Like these kind of permit systems are in place and like the enchantments up in Washington, the John Muir Trail down in California. But it's usually like one kind of famous trail or something like that. Right. And the fact that this is like such a large sweeping area, I think I think that's hard for people to get used to. Yep. All right. So we've established, you know, overnight day use permit, two different things two different prices. The next key thing to know is about the quota system that you referenced before. And the way this works is that each trailhead will have its own quota of permits available. For example, Marion Lake Trailhead in the Mount Jefferson Wilderness, there's gonna be 10 overnight group permits and 40 day use permits available. And once they're gone, they're gone. So the goal here is to limit crowds and they're doing it by limiting the number of permits that you can actually buy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. the reason limiting the amount of people in an area um, is because over the past five to seven years, the Forest Service has found that foot traffic has increased on some of these trails as much as 500%, which is just absolutely <laughs> insane to me. Um, I don't even know how that happens. Did hiking just get that much more popular, I guess? I, I don't know. Um, but many of these trails lead to really fragile alpine areas that just can't handle that type of traffic. 
And it really takes years and years of restoration to fix things. Like when people people make user trails up to hillsides or put tent, tents up on wildflower meadows and stuff like that. So if future generations want to enjoy these amazing places, something has to be done eventually. Yeah, I mean, I remember writing about this back in 2013-14 when the idea was just being germinated. And mm-hmm. some of the behavior was pretty egregious. Like they talked yeah. about people cutting down trees like in fragile yes, for firewood. Yes. Yeah, for firewood, <laughs> um, people like not knowing how to bury their waste uh, mm-hmm. when na- when nature calls, like pretty rough stuff. So, yeah. you know, there was like, even though like 90, 95% of the people were, are good stewards, practice leave no trace. Man, yeah. It's that group that doesn't, that can do like damage that lasts a, lot for of a really long time. So, yep. you know, but this is a trend that we're seeing, you know, not just in Oregon, but across the United States, visits mm-hmm. to state parks, to national parks, they've been skyrocketing for a long time. Permits are becoming an increasingly common tool. They're used everywhere from Glacier National Park to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area to Oregon's Rogue River. And they've been in place for decades in a lot of cases. And as that population increases, more people get outdoors. I think we're going to see this more. Like just this week, I was, you know, trying to get permits for a bunch of river trips and was failing spectacularly. But that kind of, (laughs) which is a bummer, but you know, it brings us to this next point. And that's why it's important to pay attention to the magic date right now, which is April 6th. And more specifically, at 7 a.m. on April 6th. That's when the first batch of these permits are going to go on sale. 40% of the overnight ones, in fact. So if you want to plan a future weekend backpacking or date in one of these popular spots, you better be on recreation.gov when the clock strikes 7 a.m. because those are going to get snatched up pretty quick, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. So how, how is this, this all going to work? Like, have you, have you kind of gone through like the website and seen how this is actually going to break down? Yeah, I have. So uh, all of that is already, you know, has been up for a couple of weeks. And so I've kind of clicked through it. And it's actually pretty easy and straightforward once you go on the website. So you'll basically just go to recreation.gov and you'll type into the search. There's like a search bar. You'll type in Central Cascades Wilderness. And then you'll see three little links that pop up. And one is for the overnight permits for the full season advanced permits. One is for the overnight permits for the seven-day rolling window, which we'll explain here in a little bit. And one is for the day-use permits. So if you want to snag a permit for, let's say, Sisters Mirror Lake for a day hike, then you'll just click on that Central Cascades Wilderness Day-Use Permits link. And from there, you can just select the date that you want. Uh, Remember that day-use permits are per person, and the overnight permits are per group, which is up to 12 people. So if you want to hike with like three of your friends, you'd have to buy a total of four day use permits. So pretty straightforward. It is pretty straightforward. I'm curious how how it ends up working out in practice. They're releasing the permits in kind of an interesting way. So on on April 6th, they're putting up, you know, 40% of the overnight permits for the entire season, but the rest become available on this seven day rolling window. So each permit's open up the seven days in advance. So the idea is for people to be able to do spontaneous trips. That was a big talking point in this process was preserving that idea where you don't have to plan a trip months in advance. Like you can be like, oh, you know, I've got a day off, you know, coming up soon. 
I want to do a hike. Like I live in Bend, like it's my backyard. <laughs> I should be able to do a hike. Do you, that was a big talking point in the process. Do you think they, they did that well, or it's important that they preserve that? Yeah, I think the breakdown is really great. It leaves a lot more of a window also to check the weather, not yeah. only your days off, which tend to vary, you know, especially for service industry people, um, but also to check the weather. You know, I would hate to see people try to like summit South Sister on a really gnarly weather day just because they feel like they have to use that permit that they got way back in April. So uh, that could actually be really dangerous if they decide to summit, you know, when there's a thunderstorm brewing or, or snow coming or something, you know. Yeah, that would be disastrous, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't <laughs> thought about it like that. But yes, yeah. some of those hikes, especially that bring you up to the mountaintops, man, um, that's that's a good point. That's another one of these yeah. things that's going to be kind of interesting to see how it shakes off. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so we've kind of talked about the basics of how this is going to work. There's a lot more details. And if you're interested, we'll post links to the mountains of stories and video that we have both <laughs> put together uh, for the Statesman Journal and on Hike Oregon. Before we jump into the specific places, any any key points or other, other parts of this that you want to hit on? Yeah, something I also wanted to mention is that another part of the Central Cascades Wilderness Strategies Project was um, or is the elevation fire ban, uh, which doesn't actually get talked about a lot, but it's a, an important detail that does impact the backpacking experience. Um, so for the Three Sisters, Mount Washington and Mount Jefferson wildernesses, the elevation fire ban is 5,700 feet. So meaning that if you are at or above 5,700 feet, you are not allowed to build a campfire, so. Yeah, yeah, that was new. And there's there's also some zones where campfires mm -hmm. are prohibited too. Like when you look on the maps uh, yes. that the Forest Service has put together, and I'd recommend doing that because it's pretty helpful to just look at the map and get the visual. Mm -hmm. Like There's little areas that are highlighted uh, where you can't have um, campfires. One question that, I, that I've heard a lot is about the fine if you get caught without a permit. And look, this is the first year that, that they're having this. This is going to be a big change. So they're going to lead with education. Um, you know, if somebody's out there without a permit, I don't think they're going to slap it on them right away. That said, if you get warned a million times and still don't have a permit, they can fine you around $200 to $250. And it's not just the fine. So Look, one of my favorite stories is that um, when we were writing features about this permit system, we focused on the Obsidian Trail system in the Three Sisters. That's actually the place that has had this type of limited entry permit system in place since the 1990s. Like, if you want to wonder why they went with this model, it's because of the perceived success on Obsidian Trail. And so in, in getting ready for this system to go in, one of the things I did was follow around the ranger that enforces the permit system at Obsidian, like the guy who checks you for that permit. And one of the most memorable moments of the day came when we came across, um, you know, this nice older couple that did not have the permit, but started <laughs> hiking up the trail anyway. And it was awkward. Like we, we actually have uh, some audio of that moment that I, that I recorded and you can get a feel for, for what it feels like to get caught without a permit just from this. We thought that the permits were like the other ones in the forest service where you filled them out at the trailhead. We oh, didn't okay. understand that you needed that type. Oh, okay. So when you passed the sign and it said that it's required, you just kept going anyway? we'd go a little ways and then turn around come back just kind of check out the trail and and get a permit and come back next week can you week. go online up your phone get service and get a permit 
You can get a permit, yeah, on the phone. Is there any service up here? Well, you have to tell me. I don't. I don't think I get any service right here. But normally, you need to get it before you enter the area. Right. We didn't know that. You guys have any ID on you? So yeah, that's that's super awkward. No matter how many times I like, I've heard it. Like I just just cringe a little bit, and that really illustrates kind of the upside and downside of the permit system. On one hand, it's very effective at reducing crowds. When we look at Obsidian, it's basically been sitting at the same level of use since the mid 1990s, and the area has rebounded ecologically. Like mm -hmm. since the 90s, there I've been told there's more animals up there. The user trails kind of slowly disappear. It's just a nicer place to hike and backpack. Green Lakes, which didn't apply this kind of permit system back in the 90s, even though it was proposed, has seen a massive increase in crowds and impact. It's like the Mall of America on <laughs> weekends. So the permit system does work, but at the same time, it basically criminalizes hiking on public lands if you don't have that permit. And now that we're applying this system on a much larger scale than just about anywhere else in the United States, it's going to be a really fascinating sociological experiment. Definitely. Yeah. I, I look forward to seeing what changes this brings um, also to the experience on the trail when you're hiking and backpacking, um, as well as how the trail trails do recover in the next like five to 10 years. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm kind of a recluse. And because of the job, <laughs> I've found ways to only go on quiet days. Have you been out to Green Lakes on like one of those days where it's bumper to bumper traffic on the trail? Have you had those experiences that they're, that they're always, they're trying to avoid basically now? Um, I have actually not gone hiking on one of those super busy trails on the weekends. I try to avoid that. I haven't probably in the last five years, uh, but I have definitely driven by the trailheads. Yeah. And especially Green Lakes, you know, it's it's a limited parking trailhead. And sometimes there are cars parked on both sides of the Cascade Lakes Highway a good half mile before you actually get to the trailhead, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. And I I wouldn't want to go hiking there, honestly. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, there have been a, a lot of proposals, but the reason limited entry is the one that they went with is because it's just it's it's hard. You could shrink the parking area, but people just mm -hmm. park out on the road. Right. On these peak days, people will find a way to get on the trail. If they've driven like an hour or a half hour, mm -hmm. they're just going to do it unless there's a hard disincentive. That's kind of what the permit system does now. All right, we're going to take a break now uh, to hear from our sponsors real quick. When we come back, we're going to dive into the actual places covered in this permit system and kind of look at the practical application, including what is, for lack of a better term, kind of a loophole that we found in the day hiking requirement. <laughs> Don't worry, it's totally legal. Um, we'll also look at some of the most popular areas where it might be hard to get a permit and then some good alternatives. So stay with us. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water, and it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org.
All right, welcome back. For the second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about how the permit system works in practice. We'll talk about some of the most famous places where it might be hard to score a permit and recommend some alternatives. But before we get rolling, I do want to hit on two important points. The first is that, sadly, the northern half of the Mount Jefferson wilderness will very likely remain closed this summer following impact from the Lion's Head fire. So that's everything north of Pamelia Lake Trail, and it includes, most notably, the super-famous Jefferson Park. It's possible that reopens later in the summer, um, but you won't be able to get a permit for it in April, and honestly, I, I doubt if it opens at all uh, this summer, but hey, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> the second thing, and this is on a completely unrelated topic, but I hate to call this a loophole, but there is something to consider for this day hiking system. So Francisca, do you want to talk about how it's possible to day hike in from a non-permit spot and then into an area that might be controlled by a permit? I think we could call this the extra effort permit loophole. <laughs> Basically, it's starting at a, a day hike at a trailhead that doesn't require a permit and hiking into an area that does require it. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a little extra effort, um, but there are two of these that come to mind. The first one is hiking into Duffy Lake. So Duffy Lake Trailhead does require a day use permit. However, if you are up for like just a little bit longer of a hike, you can start at Maxwell Butte or Maxwell Snow Park. Um, that is a awesome parking area, has a pit toilet and everything. And then you can hike into Duffy Lake via the Lava Lakes Trail 3433. And this does take a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a longer uh, day hike, but it works. It gets you into Duffy Lake. And remember, if you do plan on backpacking at Duffy, you do need a overnight permit. But that's a great exception for a day hike that is permitted where you can um, start at a non-permitted trailhead. Mm -hmm. And the other exception is going into Tinas Lakes. Um, instead of starting at the Benson Lake trailhead, you would start um, on the west side of the wilderness at a really small trailhead that's definitely requires some driving on gravel back roads and such. But the hike on the Benson Lake Trail 3502 to Tinas Lakes is similar length. It's just not quite as scenic. You aren't passing by Benson Lake and, and little uh, wildflower meadows and such, uh, but it gets you there and it's a little bit of a loophole. So. Yeah, and it's nice. I mean, the, the one you're talking about there, you take that different trailhead and you can access that area where you can get up to Scott Mountain. Um, exactly. Or you could, hike, you could hike back down to Benson Lake if you wanted to. Yes. Um, totally. I, I talked to the Forest Service about this just to make sure that, that we weren't going to get people in trouble. And they said, yeah, this this is legit. You are allowed to do this. What they said was it these uh, non-permitted trailheads, basically you fill out like a self-entry permit the way you have in the past. Right. You, car right. you carry okay. that in your backpack. And so if you get stopped by a ranger, and they say, hey, where's your permit? You you can take that oh, out. Okay, so and that's your proof that you parked at a different trailhead. That is your proof, yeah. Perfect. Um, apparently okay. it'll have like the name, the name on it. So this loophole is legit. And awesome. I, I mean, their <laughs> whole deal here has just been reducing the craziest areas for parking and shoulder to shoulder hiking. So if you come into those areas, once people are already spread out, it's not violating the spirit of this idea or anything. And I, I always try to tell people also that a lot of these lesser known trails 
if people don't use them, they actually disappear. Mm -hmm. Nature takes them back. Um, so it's actually good to use these lesser known trails because otherwise, like I said, they go away. So I don't want to sound like an evangelist for this permit idea because I certainly have qualms about it and mm -hmm. I understand the criticisms and we've reflected the criticisms. But the goal here isn't to reduce the number of people, even in these wilderness areas, it's just to spread them out. Spread um, it out. Yep. I mean, I forget what the stat was that they were throwing away, but they were talking about like 50% of the use is concentrated on like five or 10 hikes or something like mm -hmm. that. So it's just kind exactly. of trying to spread the love. And as a hiker, it's just cool to see other different places. You don't need mm -hmm. to hike Green Lakes 13 times a season, <laughs> go to 13 different trailheads. That's really right. what this is um, trying to do. Again, it's going to be a pain in the butt having to get the permits or doing your homework and all that kind of stuff. But that's the idea of the system. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about the program, how it works why it was put into place and some of the upside and some of the downside. We've even shown you a little loophole uh, before the system even gets in started. Now we're going to talk about some of the really popular hikes where you might have trouble getting a permit and some great alternatives. So I am going to let you go first. So mm -hmm. kick it off with like the popular one and then the, the alternative. What you got first? Yeah, so my first pick was uh, Matthew Lakes. So this is a moderate loop hike with just stunning mountain views and beautiful swimmable lakes. I mean, what what more could you want, right? This uh, hike has been super popular because it's one of the shortest hikes that gets you into these alpine lakes. Um, and something similar with a similar feel with mountain views, uh, but it doesn't require a permit is the short hike into Notch Lake, which is actually in the Diamond Peak Wilderness. So uh, this lake is absolutely incredible. There are wildflowers in July and actually lots of huckleberries in August, which is a delicious bonus. And the lake is swimmable as well. So that is definitely a great alternative to Matthew Lakes. Love it. It's called Notch Lake. I, don't, I, I haven't mm -hmm. been there yet. How far is it in to get into Notch Lake? Oh, it's not very long. I think it's a mile from the trailhead. So it's okay, like a two mile yeah. hike round trip. Very short, beautiful. I mean, it'd be perfect to go with with kids and just spend like all day at the lake. You know, it's it's one of those really like shallow entry lakes. So mm. it doesn't, it's not sketchy. <laughs> all right. um, but there are rocks where you could jump in, um, like on the other side of the lake. And it's it's just stunning. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm definitely going to bring my four and six year old girls and we are going to do that one for sure. So that's going on the list. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for my first pick, I'm going to start with an old favorite. So it's Pamelia Lake and Grizzly Peak in the Mount Jefferson wilderness. And along with Obsidian, uh, this is a place that it's kind of the OG of limited entry permit system because it's had this permit system in place since the 1990s and that continues with the current system. It is both the overnight and the day use requirement. If you've never been to Pamelia and Grizzly, they are great because you hike in through beautiful forests to reach a mountain lake and then you can climb Grizzly Peak to spectacular viewpoint of Mount Jefferson that's just like feels like it's right in front of you. <laughs> but, you know, you might miss the permit on a busy weekend. So a good backup plan uh, would be 
heading to a place that we've actually mentioned already and that I really like, and that is the hike up Maxwell Butte. The nice thing about Maxwell Butte is that it's right off Highway 22 at the same place as the well-known snow park, just up the road from it. And it has kind of the same features to Pamelia and Grizzly. Like you're hiking in through a pretty nice forest. You pass a little pool called uh, Twin Lakes. It's not as nice as Pamelia Lake, but that's okay. And then you climb a pretty steep trail to a stunning view of Three Finger Jack and Mount Jefferson. Again, it's not quite as good as Pamelia and Grizzly, but it doesn't require that permit. And it is very, very worth doing on its own merits. Super cool hike. Yeah, I really, really love that one. And honestly, I've never seen anyone on that trail, which is funny because the trailhead is literally right there off of the highway. So I know it's yeah. it's, it's in plain sight, but it just it's <laughs> funny how some of them pop up and others just don't. Yeah, it's kind of overlooked for sure. Okay, so my second pick is South Sister. It is very well known, very popular. I think that's going to be Really hard to get a permit for on weekends, uh, but South Sister is a grueling 12-mile round-trip hike through lots of rock and scree, but the views totally make up for this grueling hike. Summit views, uh, it's like one of the best in the state, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, yeah, like I said, this will be one of the most difficult permits to get, I think. Um, but my alternative for this hike is right, almost right across the road at Mount Bachelor. There's actually a hiking trail that goes up the rocky slopes of Mount Bachelor. Most people think of Mount Bachelor for skiing, but there is actually a hiking trail that goes up there. And the whole hike is only 5.8 miles, so super short, gains about 25, 2600 feet of elevation, so very steep. But the view from the summit is just absolutely fantastic. And you not only see the entire Cascade mountain range, Uh, but also the lakes along the Cascade Lakes Highway. You see all of the lakes. It's pretty incredible. So that's a really fun option. I've never even heard of the trail uh, up Mount Bachelor. So that's that's really cool. I was thinking about this as well, like as good alternatives to South Sister. I guess the one that I'd throw out there, um, it's farther away, but it would be Diamond Peak itself, yes. um, which you don't need a permit for because it's in uh, a different wilderness area. Um, but it gives you kind of the same sort of experience. Um, Diamond Peak has definitely way less people than South Sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's worth it. The view isn't quite as as spectacular um, at the top of Diamond Peak, but it's really cool. Uh, great experience. That would be another alternative to South Sister. Okay, so up next, I think we're both going to mention this place a few times, but uh, Green Lakes and Jefferson Park will be two of the highest demand places in the future of the system. I know Jefferson Park isn't going right now, but eventually it will be and everybody is going to want to go there. So the reason is obvious. I mean, you've got a stunning alpine meadow directly below a giant volcano, Mount Jefferson and South Sister, respectively. If you've never been to either of those places, then by all means, make it happen. Maybe go midweek and try to hunt that permit. But there is another alpine meadow below a giant mountain that doesn't require a day hike permit, and that is Mount Washington Meadows. Now, it doesn't have the alpine lakes of Jeff Park and Green Lakes, but it's still this stunning meadow that you can reach on the Pacific Crest Trail or Pat Jen's Trail right next to Hoodoo Ski Area in Sanium Pass. It's about a 10 to 12 mile hike, and it just takes you to this meadow that is right at the base of Mount Washington. It's a really cool spot. And for me, it's kind of a special place because it's where uh, we celebrated and and had beers after successfully climbing Mount (laughs) Washington. And... 
that was terrifying. And to just get down into this idyllic little alpine meadow, um, man, that was that was a cool moment. But it's a beautiful spot to to visit anytime. Um, again, you'd need a permit to camp here, but not to do you know the pretty long day hike. Very cool. So you actually summited, summited, like went to the top of Mount Washington. Went to the top of Mount Washington. Wow. Um, this is back when I didn't have kids and I like had time for getting into Ooh. good shape and like learning how to do some technical rope stuff. Went with very experienced people. That summit is really a trip. It feels like a little pinpoint, like a little tiny tabletop surrounded by like nothingness, by cliffs, basically. Oh, gosh. It's really a yeah. trip, trippy, cool um, summit, so... Well, my third one that I'm going to talk about is Sisters Mirror Lake, which is one of my favorite hikes to do uh, kind of late in the summer, late August, early September. Uh, the fall colors there that start to pop is they're just incredible. And of course, later in the summer, there's less mosquitoes. Um, a great alternative to this newly permitted hike is actually pretty much right next door, the Six Lakes Trail. It has pretty similar elevation gain. Um, you can do a longer loop if you wanted to on that. Same sort of scenery and just lots of little alpine lakes to stop at, which is really, really nice. Well, I'm curious. So Sisters Mirror Lake, does that live up to the name? Are the sisters like reflected <laughs> no. in a mirror there? It absolutely does not. Um, it's kind of a marshy lake, to be honest. It's not not the prettiest lake. Um there are some lakes past that, like Lancelot Lake, um, that are actually much prettier that people really never go to. Um, but yeah, Sisters Mirror Lake, I don't honestly know why it was named that. You can see South Sister like peeking up, you know, above the trees, but it's definitely not what you would think when you hear the name. <laughs> wow, that's funny. I wonder if like the, it got the permit just solely because of like the cool name. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, another popular spot, I think you're going to touch on this too. So, but it's fine if we both have yep. alternatives for it is uh, a very popular spot that does have the day hike permit requirement. And that is Canyon Creek Meadows. And that's a hike that begins at Jack Lake Trailhead, uh, pretty close to Sisters. Very, very popular hike that takes you right below Three Finger Jack in a pretty glorious alpine meadow. Again, if you can get a permit, I highly recommend mm -hmm. this at some point. This is a bucket list hike you have to do. But, yep. yes. you know, in my opinion, though, it is not the best alpine wildflower meadow for my money in the state because the, my favorite is actually a short drive away and just outside the wilderness in the old Cascades region near Sanium Junction. Now, the hiking question is Crescent Mountain, and in July, that place lights up like the 4th of July with big mountain views to boot. Now, you're not directly below a giant mountain like you are at Canyon Creek Meadows, but the mountains are all around. And so if you've ever been to Dog Mountain, uh, Crescent Mountain is pretty similar with these almost like hanging meadows with, you know, all kinds of wildflowers in there, mountain views all around. It's a pretty challenging hike at nine miles round trip with over 2,000 feet of climb, but it is a fantastic option if Canyon Creek Meadows doesn't work out. Definitely. I, I really enjoy Crescent Mountain for sure. Crescent Mountain versus Canyon Creek Meadows. Yeah. If you, if for sheer scenery, I'm curious, which one is tops for you? Because I would go back, back and forth. These are my two favorite wildflower meadows, but which one would you pick as number Well, one? okay. So for scenery, I think Canyon Creek is better. Yeah. But for wildflowers, Crescent is better because 
there is more of a variety in mm -hmm. of wildflowers at Crescent. Um, yeah. Canyon Creek, you know, has a lot of lupin and just up to like five or so wildflowers that you see a lot of, whereas Crescent Mountain has an explosion of color mm -hmm. um, up there. And I would say for wildflowers, Crescent is probably better. Yeah, but it is hard to beat that. I mean, that that like picture that you can get at Canyon yes. Meadows, that's one of, that's top five in the state, yes. I think, for just scenic spots. Not to get waylaid too much. What's uh, what's your next spot? Well, something you were saying that, that picture of, you know, the mountain and the wildflowers, you can actually get a really similar picture, which is my, my other pick here for an alternative for Canyon Creek Meadows is Park Meadow, mm -hmm. uh, which is in the Three Sisters Wilderness. It does require an overnight permit, but not a day use permit. So if you wanted to get that alpine meadow with a mountain, I would I would go to Park Meadow. It's absolutely fantastic. You do hike through a bit of a burn at the beginning, um, but then you're just hiking through these meadows, and it's it's fantastic. Just Park Meadow. Uh, can you where where is that located? I I haven't been there, so where give me a, give me a feel for where that is and where it you is out. by uh, Three Creeks Lake. Okay, gotcha. So you you get Broken Top, you know the backside of Broken Top there, and Broken Top is is very similar to uh, Three Finger Jack in the sense that it has you know those um, it almost looks like marbling in the mm -hmm. mountain, like the different colors. It's absolutely beautiful. Very cool. I got to put that yeah. one on the list too. My next one is going to be so the one of the coolest hikes of Mackenzie Pass uh, area. You know that famous two, Highway 242 takes you up Little Belknap Crater, um, takes you out through these lava fields to a high point. Great mountain views. It's right next to D Wright Observatory. Wonderful area. Again, uh, the day hike requirement is here. So Little Belknap Crater. You need the day hike. If you strike out there. Uh, fear not, just head down Highway 242 to Black Crater Trailhead, Now, and which doesn't require the permit. Now, Black Crater does take you through a forest that was pretty well torched by the 2017 Millie Fire, but it's a fascinating place to see how a forest regenerates after a wildfire, and that's going to be a big theme for us here in Oregon. It has sweeping mountain views up Black Crater, um, you know, great views of the lava fields um, and Mount Washington, and then uh, the three sisters on the other side of it. My favorite part of this hike is <laughs> there's a fire lookout tower that is just, that is in like the craziest place that I've ever seen. Like the tower is gone <laughs> now, but you can see evidence of the old base of it. And it's basically sits on this like tiny precipice surrounded by cliffs. Like the person that manned that fire lookout back in the day <laughs> would have had to been super, super brave because it's just a bizarre little spot. So anyway, if you're looking for a mountaintop climb near Mackenzie Pass, can't get Little Belknap Crater, just head down the road to Black Crater. Yeah, I would say that's one of my favorite views in Oregon is the mm -hmm. view from, from Black Crater. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, and I like how it's on both sides too. One way, and it's like the lava fields, Mount Washington, and then you can you can see even even farther. And then you turn around, and the three sisters are like right behind mm -hmm. you. Um, so it's yeah. pretty cool panorama out there. All right, what you got next? Yeah, so my fifth and final choice. Um, we talked about Duffy Lake earlier, and a little loophole that you can um, get into Duffy Lake if you wanted to. However, if you just want to avoid Duffy Lake altogether because it's busy. 
Um, try Diamond View Lake, again, in the Diamond Peak Wilderness, a trail that doesn't get frequented very often, and it is absolutely beautiful, a swimmable lake um, with, a, like the name says, Diamond View. So you see Diamond Peak, uh, you see Mount Uran there, and it's it's absolutely stunning. One of my favorites. All right. So for my final pick, uh, the hike with the permit requirement is Obsidian Trail. And look, there's nothing quite like it because the thing that makes it great, you know, beyond its lava fields and a waterfall and a hidden lake, if you can find it, and access to Middle Sister via Sunshine Meadows, it's this tr the true obsidian outcrops that are there that take this hike for me to the next level. Like Obsidian Trail is where Native American tribes used to come and make all types of tools uh, from this obsidian that's easy to shape. And that rock has been found and traded all across North America. So it's just a really cool spot. And guess what? I don't have a good alternative for this place because it's just <laughs> one of a kind. So you should just try to get a permit for it midweek. Um, I'm not going to try to come up with <laughs> an alternative. So I'm very sorry to, to end on that note. But you know, the whole idea of this permit system is to go on a quieter day. So just look right. for a quieter day. There's plenty of permits available, both overnights and day use. So I don't know, just try to make it happen. Yeah. Or, or try to do it after the permit season ends. You know, yeah. I did, I did Obsidian um, November 1st this, this past year, and it's a beautiful hike in the fall as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great. I mean, there's plenty of these places that you can reach outside of the permit season. Yeah. And again, that's not a loophole. That's just like, that, <laughs> that's, that's just logical. Okay. So that does it for our picks um, of great hikes that to visit uh, with a permit or without. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about your book, Oregon's Best Views. Okay, welcome back. So to finish off the podcast, you have an awesome new book to talk about. I just got a copy of it, and it's a really fun idea for a book. It's called Oregon's Best Views, 50 Breathtaking Viewpoint Hikes. So it looks great, and I'm curious what inspired the idea of not just doing like, you know, the best trails, but making the best views sort of the, the centerpiece of it. Where'd that idea come from? Ever since I started hiking, viewpoint hikes have been my favorite so unlike my last book, which there was like a need for a book like that on the market, I just wanted to write something that I was super, super passionate about, and that was viewpoint hikes. So I decided to go do some research. So I took a couple years and did some trips all over the state and just did a bunch of viewpoint hikes. It was super, super fun. Yeah, I am looking at the table of contents here, and I've, I've been paging through it. You have the entire state here. Um, so when you were working on this, how did you do the research for for places way out eastern Oregon and, you know, just a combination of maps and, and research and stuff? Or how did you come up with like the the 50 list here? Well, I'm I'm sure that if someone were to look at this, they could come up with even better viewpoint hikes. But, you know, you can't put a thousand viewpoint hikes in a book. <laughs> so I, I had to just pick 50 of my favorite and what I thought were the best. Um, so I went off of, yeah, maps, guidebooks, um, word of mouth, that kind of thing, and just did as many as I could and then picked the best from from there. 
Gotcha. So I'm looking through this. I've done a, a handful of these, but there's a lot of places I haven't heard about. You know, mm -hmm. is there one or two or three viewpoint hikes that stick out that people may not have heard of, whether it's out, you know, in the Elkhorn Range or the Blue Mountains or something? Like, was there any that surprised you and you're like, wow, I've never heard of this and this is really cool? Well, Eastern Oregon was pretty foreign to me to begin with uh, before I did research for this book. I hadn't really been out that way, um, nor had I really heard of people talking about hikes out that way, obviously, except Eagle Cap and, and those very popular hikes. Mm -hmm. um, but I hadn't really heard of the Blue Mountains or anything like that. So definitely Sutton Mountain was a really unique one. Rock Creek Butte, that was, that's in the Blue Mountains. Just stuff I hadn't heard of, Mount Ireland. These amazing, amazing viewpoint hikes that, yeah, just don't get talked about a lot. Um, anything else you'd want people to know about it? I got to assume, I mean, since you're, you're climbing some viewpoints, it's probably, is it a mix of, of easy and difficult? Does it skew mostly on the more challenging side since, you know, to get a good viewpoint, you gotta, you gotta climb a little ways. Uh, where do, where does it skew as far right. as, as, as like, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it would have been really easy for me to make a book of just difficult hikes. Um, but I really wanted to make viewpoint hikes accessible for everybody. Um, so my goal was to have a even amount, <laughs> as even as I could, um, of, you know, easy, moderate, and difficult hikes. So I do have 17 out of the 50 hikes. There's 17 easy hikes, mm. 18 moderate hikes, and just 15 difficult hikes. So that really um, doesn't limit a lot of people, hopefully. That, that was my hope. And then also I wanted it to be spread out evenly throughout the state as well so that anyone who picks up this book could have at least 10 hikes in their area. So uh, there's Northern Oregon, Western Oregon, Southern Oregon, Central and uh, Eastern Oregon, and all of those have 10 hikes. So. Gotcha. And I know it's probably like picking a, you know, a favorite child or something like that. Did you, come, <laughs> did you come away with one or two favorites at the end of this? I mean, going to this many different viewpoints, was there one or two that you're like, yeah, mm. these are, these are the places that I'm going to return to. <laughs> That's really hard. Um, well, one of my, I fell in love with Southern Oregon about two years ago when I started book research. Um, and one of my favorites was definitely Kirby Peak, just something I had, a hike I'd never heard about. And we didn't see anyone on the trail. And man, the wildflowers. That's the other thing about this book is that most of these are spectacular wildflower hikes too, So, which is really great. Um, but the wildflowers on Kirby Peak and then the view was just, I didn't want to leave. It was fantastic. I would definitely go back. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Eastern Oregon was my absolute favorite. I think from from my Eastern Oregon research, I would definitely go back to Rock Creek Butte, um, the Blue Mountains. There's so much to discover there. So I definitely want to go back there. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad you made it down to Southern Oregon, my my old stomping grounds. Yeah, the Siskiyou Mountains, I feel like are, are often underrated. But mm -hmm. when you get up on the top of them, and you have those waves of green, I miss that sort of ocean of mountains that you get down there uh, at the top. Yeah. And Kirby, Kirby Peak, that's a great, that's a deep cut. Um, that's pretty close <laughs> to where I used to live in the Grants Pass and Cave Junction area. Yeah. 
that's pretty remote out there. Um, it so, is. It so is. Yeah, you're I'm, not going to see many people. <laughs> and you will definitely meet some very interesting people uh, oh. down in that area. So <laughs> the, the local scene is fantastic in uh, okay. extreme Southwest <laughs> Oregon. Um, you'll either meet some really interesting hippies or you'll meet some people who definitely do not want to be found by the government. It's either one or the other. There's like no in-between <laughs> down there. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what's uh, to finish up here? What's the best place to uh, to buy this? Should we go to Amazon? Should we go to Hike Oregon? What's the what's the best way to support you and buy this? Yeah, so it'll be um, on my website, hikeoregon.net, starting March twentieth. That is the release date, and it'll be on there. And it'll also be at Black Sun Books here in Eugene, the local bookstore. And I am trying to, now that the book is out, I am trying to get it into other smaller local bookstores in various um, towns. So hopefully that will happen soon. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on to discuss a broad range of topics here <laughs> from limited entry to good alternatives to, to the book. Uh, really appreciate your work. Once again, you can see all of this good stuff at hikeoregon.net. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. That's about all the time we have for today's episode on the Limited Entry Program. If you'd like to learn more about how the program came to be or how it's worked out at Pamelia Lake, you can find our previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com explore or find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org.